Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a group of baby geniuses who do battle with an evil media mogul called Kane who wants to brainwash the world of a secret code to get revenge on his brother Kahuna, a legendary baby genius all the other baby geniuses look up to. <laughs> Wait a second, that's that sounds actually... like a great podcast. <laughs> it does, Sam, but unfortunately that's actually the plot of Super Baby's Baby Geniuses 2. This is actually a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, joining me is my favourite guy in the world... Oh no, it's Sam. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, a rich uh, vein of humour runs uh, through this podcast. Yeah. It's Oscar Isaac's week on Film Chat. As he wanders about New York in 1981, just trying to sell some oil, damn it, in a most violent year. And he also hangs out in a fancy house and shows a nerd his robot in Ex Machina. We also review the much-anticipated new Paul Thomas Anderson film Inherent Vice, which inexplicably does not feature Oscar Isaacs even for a second. Plus, we talk about X-Men's possible journey to the small screen, Ghostbusters' return to the big screen, and lots of other great stuff. Oh, so exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. Cue jingle. Films, films, films. films. Correspondence. We've had some. Mm-hmm. Um, Yay. We got a message from Tim Rogers. Who's that guy? I don't know. Never met him. Okay. Don't like him. <laughs> don't bring him up. Um, what does it say? He says, I have a question for this discursive duo. This year's Oscar nominations have left me feeling a tad dispirited. There doesn't seem to be any films on the list that really seem to demand recognition. Certainly not in the same way that 12 Years a Slave did. My question is, which best picture winner from the last 12 years is your favourite? My answer would be a hesitant no country for old men, though the more lighthearted side of myself would prefer to sit down and watch the artist again. Did he? Why has he chosen 12 years as the span for this question? I think maybe just because 12 years a slave just had 12 and yeah. <laughs> so he's just, yeah. Well, so it's like if he'd had to watch like the Oscars <laughs> in, for 12 years yeah. instead of being a slave, yeah, what yeah. would his favourite have been? Exactly. That's one way to interpret it. 
Yeah, go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, it says, you know, this year doesn't have any films that demand recognition. I mean, come on, Boyhood. Boyhood, Tim. Come, on. come on. Come on, Tim. Boyhood. Yeah. Come on, Tim. Boyhood. <laughs> not, uh, not the last time we'll be saying, come on, Tim, <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think Boyhood is a film that will definitely last longer than just the Oscar cycle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so that... That qualm that aside, aside, yeah. So I looked up the Oscar winners from the last 12 years, 2002 to 2014. It goes as follows. Chicago, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Million Dollar Baby, Crash, The Departed, No Country for Old Men, Slumdog Millionaire, Hurt Locker, The King's Speech, The Artist, Argo, 12 Years a Slave. Hmm. It's definitely not a list of the 12 best films of the last yeah. 12 years, is it? Not at all. Um, I mean, there's quite a lot of movies that came out in that time that are probably better than any of the films. Yeah, yeah. List, but... Well, I I would say No Country for Old Men would be my pick of those. That's a good pick, yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah, wouldn't yeah. be hesitant about it at all. No, no, no. Solid. That's a solid, solid pick, definitely. Yeah. That's a great film. Well, maybe the Oscar, the winners aren't really a judge of the best films, but I think generally... Like if you look at the nominations, they're quite solid. I mean, yeah, they're they're not they don't they're not terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's gonna remember incredibly loud and really close where that film was called. Yeah, I got nominated, but you know, Wolf of Wall Street, that's gonna stand the test of time, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Robot Mountain, no one, no one's watched Crash in like ten years, but Robot yeah. Mountain lives on. I think the the Oscar nominations in general are, are not like you know it's not just a total crock. You know they do tend to nominate quite good films yeah. for the most part. But yeah, I don't know. If you read that list of best picture films, it's not like it's not a thrilling bunch. Yeah, well, it's, it's not going to be anyone's like no one's favorite films are going to be that list. Well, like I, it, this sort of came up with like because of Selma, Selma's snubbing, and yeah. there was like all these reports about how it's a fact that most of the Academy voters are just old white guys. Mm-hmm. But it's also true that the majority of film professionals in the Academy are actors, so it's often true that the most actorly film wins. Yeah. Uh, and it's the film that nobody hates. Right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the most sort of down-the-middle, actuary yeah. film... A controversial film is not going to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, I guess, though, like, No Country is, like, maybe a bit of an exception. Maybe it's, like, because everyone, the Coens, have just been making good films for so long, they were, like... Yeah, but it's, No Country is not, like, some sort of crazy, like, art film that's, like, impenetrable. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know. So, come on, Tim. Boy, it's great. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Any new letters? Uh, yeah, we got some comments on SoundCloud from Holly Tibble. Holly Tibble. She has some responses to a couple of the movies that you reviewed, Danny. Oh, I bet. I hope they're I agreeing with me. I didn't feel equipped to to respond myself because I haven't seen them. Okay. So this is to you. Theory of everything, she says. Yeah. Agree on so many points. Also, I, I love this Holly I girl. Feel it was great. <laughs> I feel it was painfully aimed at women. But I actually liked that the main conflict was everyone being super nice, even when they really didn't want to. Oh, the sort of stiff British upper lipness. Yeah, well, one of the, one of your criticisms was that um, everyone's nice. Yeah, it lacks conflict because everyone's too nice all the time. Yeah, she says. She says I liked the restraint. I liked the restraint. Yeah. Come on, Holly. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that's fair enough. I think maybe I uh, didn't express it as well as I could have done, but it was more that the filmmakers were so in love with Stephen Hawking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last scene, like, all the penultimate scenes, like, everyone just giving him a standing ovation. That kind of feels what the film was like. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why don't you just do that and not make this film? I wouldn't have to see it. Yeah. It gets me all angry. Just send him a nice letter. Just send him a nice letter. (laughs) Why don't you make a film about it? But yeah, that's true. That's sort of, you know... Yeah, that was a... Maybe I was a bit harsh on that bit. Okay. Maybe you're right, Holly. Okay. 
Okay. On the subject of wild, Holly says, she, oh. she continues, <laughs> <laughs> and the constant threat of rape. We discussed after why the tone was so heavily that way when nothing actually happened on the walk, um, or at least in the film. I will be reading the book for sure. Why do you think this is? Do you think it was her being paranoid and the real actions are filtered through her fear, or that scene with the hunters was pretty realistic? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know what she means. Well, I haven't seen it. these sort of, like, these scenes where there's the sort of threat of rape have, like, mm. nothing to do with the actual overall story or themes of the... Yeah. So it'd be bizarre if they were just put in there. What's the scene with the hunters? Well, there's a scene where she's backpacking. Actually, that describes the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> One of the many scenes. And these sort of two hunters sort of come out of nowhere and uh, they're sort of, like, kind of ogling her. Mm. And she's, like... It's definitely like quite threatening. Yeah, yeah. And then they they leave, and then like one of the guys comes back, yeah. and then his friend comes back, and it's like, hey, come on, we got stuff to be doing. And it's a bit like if his friend had come back, you might have just been attacked. Yeah, right. I see. Yeah. But anyway, it it'd be weird if that wasn't in the if that had been added by the filmmakers just as like some sort of random tent scene. Yeah. To spice up this you know quite moody film. Mm. But yeah, that's I think those scenes were good because. They uh, made it not about actually like the realism of like the danger of actually walking by yourself. Mm. Otherwise, it'd just be like Reese was been going for like a pleasant stroll. Yeah, yeah. It would and be like purely the mental journey with yeah. just like and the also ornament of um, walking. You know the fact that um the 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 factor of maybe getting raped is something like women have to include in their decision making. Is yeah, like sort of yeah, yeah. underexpressed in films. It's yeah. kind of like oh okay, that would is probably a legitimate fear. Mm. So. So, what was the question? I think it was real. I think that, that those scenes were accurate. realistic. Yeah, they certainly felt that way. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, Holly. Thanks, Holly. Does that mean we we um, are sending Holly like a picture of ourselves now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sure, she, I'm sure she hasn't asked for that, but... But she'll... <laughs> but I'm sure she... But I'm sure <laughs> she, she wants one. Very much enjoy receiving one. So. Yeah, speaking of um, film chat, audience engagement, becoming increasingly... You know, I don't know, I wouldn't say desperate, but yeah. pushy, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not desperate, but, you know. Yeah, but with an air of concern. <laughs> but I'll suck your dick, man. <laughs> uh, we invited everyone to come bowling with us. Yeah. James came. Um, James came. Both our girlfriends came. <laughs> <laughs> such a fifth wheel. Yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. It was, it was tons of fun. We had a great time hanging out. Uh, we drank, we bowled, we ate. Yeah. We uh, discussed the old times, the, the new times. The bowling had its ups and downs. You know, it was uh, there was a lot of drama in the points. Not for you, Sam. Well, you did I very was, well. I did well in the first one. The second one, I was doing well again. I was leading, and then right at the end, James and Katie overtook me. Yeah. It was a very dramatic finish. Everyone cheered. There was some there was some tears. Yeah. You know, mainly from you. Mainly from me. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So uh, as uh, I think that demonstrated hangout with film chat is really fun. Yeah, great. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna think about possibilities for future outings that we're going to invite you on. Not all necessarily after being um, hounded by James on Twitter until it becomes a reality. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the Prince Charles Cinemas uh, does an occasional film quiz. Maybe we could uh, put a film chat team together. Ooh. Yeah. Danny was the star of the quiz last time after yeah. getting a question right about the Fifth Element. Yeah. And, really quickly. Uh, yeah. So hope to see more of you in future, listeners. Yay! Yay! Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. News! News, news time now. 
Yeah, we've got a bunch of fun news items this week. So the most breaking news, the most trending news, yeah. apparently Disney have approached or in the process of, or eyeing, I don't know what the term is. Well, they, you know, he looking, can see them and they're coming towards him. Uh, they want Chris Pratt to be the new Indiana Jones in a franchise reboot. Mm. Uh, Disney acquired the rights from Paramount in 2013. and so I guess Disney again. Disney, they own everything now. Yeah, they're buying everything. And uh, apparently they want Chris Pratt for the lead. And But also Harrison Ford, not in response to this, but has previously stated in interviews, even like fairly recently, that he'd be up for a fifth one. <laughs> so the question is, do you want to see an Indiana Jones film? And if you do, do you want to see an old man Ford or young man Pratt? Hmm. I, I feel like this is such a sort of studio executive's decision. Yeah. You know, people, people have compared Chris Pratt to Harrison... Well, people started comparing him to Harrison Ford... After Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he's like a kind of charming, space, swashbuckling right? rogue. Yeah. It's literally the first thing is exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He pretty much is Indiana Jones in space. So for them to then be like, why don't we make him like actually Indiana Jones? Just, I don't know, he seems a bit lazy, but he'd probably be fun. Yeah, but I'm like... Uh, also, I don't know, why do we need a reboot of that, you know? And yeah. so like, it's so Harrison Ford. He's pretty much just, it's just the Harrison Ford movie, right? It's yeah, just... I don't know. I mean... It's become that these kind of reboots happen so frequently that it's become kind of automatic to be like that's pointless, you know, mm. like attempt at money making, you know. Where's the original idea, studios? Yeah, yeah. And I do kind of feel that way. It's like, uh. but maybe the film will come out and be great. You know, sometimes people do well with these things. So, yeah, but will Spielberg do it? I doubt it. Um, I mean, I that's know. part of the. Um... But who cares? I mean, he did Indiana Jones Four, right? Yeah, well, it's not exactly a classic, except, also... for, that, except for that bit where Sheila Burf is like fighting all the monkeys. No, the monkeys teach him how to swing. He doesn't fight the monkeys. Oh, no, no, they help him. They help him. They're, the they're on his him. side. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he forms an alliance with the monkeys to, de- <laughs> to defeat the evil Russians. Yes, the Russians are evil. He fights the Russians. Yeah. He helps the monkeys. Yeah, the monkeys I, sorry, I was thinking of the scene where the Russians teach him how to fight monkeys, but it was <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> hey, you know what also, uh, if they did a new Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. because they've sold it from Paramount, they can't start with the Paramount logo Fading into like a rock that looks like the Paramount logo Good or a point. mountain. Yeah, the whole opening. He's gonna have to be. Thing. He's gonna have to be breaking into a fairy tale castle at the beginning. A giant castle. <laughs> <laughs> he's breaking into Disneyland. Yeah, or he's got a young daughter, and it starts with uh, her playing with it with some toys in yes. her room. Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound very exciting. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well. Well. well Interesting. Interesting. Good luck, Pratt. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, more news? So, I hope, listeners, you've been following the uh, Ghostbusters reboot, remake. Speaking of rebooting things, yeah, this one I feel much more positively about Me than too. Indiana Jones, because at least it comes with a sort of twist, which yeah. is that the, re- uh, the reboot is going to be all female. I mean, all female cast, which means like... You know, for one thing, obviously, it's cool having the more, like, um, women-centred films and, like, women-centred comedies and stuff. That's all good. And also means that we are not, like, 
with the Chris Pratt thing, you know, it's going to be another swashbuckling guy, you know, yeah, in a hat yeah. with a whip, whatever. And but with like women, there will be different characters. So yeah, it yeah, will be a Sony film. So the news is that they have announced the cast of uh, the new Ghostbusters. They ob- obviously Paul Feig, the director, felt like changing the men to women was like enough, like in terms of change. So he's kept the three white, one black yeah. key dynamic. Yeah, yeah. from Ghostbusters. Obviously, it wouldn't work if like two of them were black or Whoa. they were all white. Yeah, yeah. Or if... So what we've got is Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig, who uh, were together in Bridesmaids in the past, and uh, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones, who are less well-known, but they're both SNL cast members. And I've never heard of them, to be honest with you, until today. Yeah. But I did a bit of Googling and uh, didn't learn like a ton more. <laughs> um, Funny women. Yeah, Leslie Leslie Jones is she recently joined SNL and it's the first time in that show's history they've had two female black cast members at the same time. Wow. And uh, there was some recent controversy with her where she made a joke about how like she can't get a boyfriend now but in slavery times um she would have been <laughs> like like perfect for breeding. She's like 6 oh. foot tall and like really strong, so Right. Yeah, she would have had no trouble getting a man because they would have used her for breeding or something. <laughs> It's edgy. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Um, so uh, that's cool. So yeah, I mean, you know, I like I trust that they're funny. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah, this is definitely like the only way they can do it now. Now that they're one Ghostbuster down, they can't like, the original cast. They can't, the, the original cast, the you know, yeah. Harold Ramis has sadly passed away, so they yeah. can't do the original cast. Yeah, and if they did it with guys, it'd just be. So Too much lame. of a direct comparison. Yeah, yeah, and it would be kind of lame, you know. Yeah. I can Im- I can imagine like an alternative, uh, you know, world where they're making it with Will Ferrell and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Seth Rogen or something, and it's a bit like we see all these movies. Those movies come out all the time. Yeah, yeah. we don't need to see that movie again. Whereas I think it will be quite unusual to have a um, kind of female buddy comedy thing where it's not about one of them yeah. getting married or like you know having boyfriend problems or something you know sounds great who's going to be the Sigourney Weaver character oh yeah <laughs> that's a good the point one, someone's always hitting on yeah Gosling John Ham. yeah John Hamm continue the bridesmaids um, thing that'd be good I'm hoping there will be like a fifth like really like nerdy weird girl like, yeah. played by Kristen Shaw or something like that. Yeah. He's the equivalent of the Rick Moranis character. That'd be really good. Yeah. Who's going to... I hope they just keep the same Bronxy uh, receptionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd be great. We got one! Ghostbusters! <laughs> Guys! I hope they keep the lame TV advertisements when they become successful Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, that was so always good. a great part of the... Uh, oh, I'm already I'm already excited. It's got to end with everyone cheering, them leaving a building... Yeah, all yeah. of New York is it, a mess. It's got to have um, that kind of uh, theory of en- theory of everything ending. Yeah, everyone cheering, everyone's yeah, yeah. happy. Yeah, Only. like it's like New Year's Eve, you know, streamers, and then like images of the people in the movie smiling with the names of the actors playing them laid yeah. over the top. Brilliant. That's what that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And is is Slimer going to be a woman now? And who will play her? Well, uh... <laughs> who's that? The ghost of Joan Rivers? So <laughs> 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 the ghost of Jim Belushi. <laughs> what you mean? So instead of being a sort of like fat, greedy ghost, it's going to be like I don't know, heavily you know, botoxed, like a botox, like bitter, <laughs> like you know, viciously cruel, viciously um, cruel ghost. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that I mean, I don't know. That's exciting. That that is exciting. Hopefully, that will be good. Um, so we've got a brand new jingle. Brilliant. About you reviewing a film, Sam. Oh right, okay. Just going to press play. This is coming from uh, your end of the. Yeah, uh, I've spent. 
You're part of the musical partnership. I know, like, I haven't really been that hot on the jingles, but it's because I've been spending all that time working on this one jingle. Wow. This is, like, three months of work. Well, you've built it up. Maybe better meet those uh, expectations. Okay. Let's hear it. Sam's Opinions. Sam's Opinions. Sam's Opinions. Sam's It sounds incredible. Yeah. I can see where every second of those many hours went. Sure. It sounds polished. Do you like the lyrics? I love the lyrics, yeah. And um, I can only hope that I live up to them in my review that I'm about to do. A manga dream. So we've got another one of our exciting, before it actually comes out in <laughs> cinemas, reviews. Like real journalists. Yeah. Although it would have been out for a day by the time you hear it. It's Inherent Vice! Whoa! The new Paul Thomas Anderson film. He's a much uh, beloved... Um, auteur director, one of the big dicks in the uh, huge dick. world of filmmaking, and his movies are always highly anticipated. His last film was The Master. Um, when did that come out? A couple of years ago? Yeah. 2011 or 2012. 2012. And that got a slightly more mixed reception. Oh, is that fair to say? The most yeah. of his films? I think it's great, though. Um, I liked it too, yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it's one of his less accessible efforts. Yeah. You know, not sort of traditionally plotted. And quite slow. And this one is more of a sort of comedy. It's very long, but it's uh, very easy to watch. So I think it will should find a wider audience. What's what's the plot? So the plot of Inherent Vice is set in the 1970s. It's an adaptation of, I should say, an adaptation of a Thomas Pynchon novel. Um, one of his quite recent ones. Um, just came out about five years ago. And it's a kind of film noir pastiche. Or, but not, not, not really a pastiche, but a kind of you know, expansion. Take. Yeah. Uh, on film noir tropes and it's uh stars Joaquin Phoenix as a private detective in 1970s LA kind of like a he's like an ex heroin addict druggy character and he's visited the way the plot starts is he's visited by an ex girlfriend who is um oh, it's got a complex plot but <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> stuff happens she comes in and she's worried that her current boyfriend is who is a property developer is going to be committed to an insane asylum by his wife, who is conspiring with her boyfriend in order to enact some nefarious scheme or whatever. So immediately there's all these characters thrown at you, and You're right, like, okay. they only they increase exponentially from there. There's about like 100 named characters in the film. Actually, when I went to see this, everyone who went in got given like a little sort of um, commemorative Inherent Vice booklet, um, yeah. which had like uh, quotes from the book and pictures and names of all the characters, and it was really long. I was like, oh my god, there's a lot of people in this film. <laughs> My thoughts. You're probably wondering about my thoughts. What are your thoughts? So I, I've uh, only seen the movie one time, and it was a couple of months ago. Um, not to make my opinions seem less, you know, complete so or awful. Down. I should just ignore everything you say. <laughs> but it's a very sprawling film. And there's a lot going on. It's like um, it's quite an epic, and it's hard to. 
I don't know, I'd like to see it again, you know, before I set everything that I say in stone. So take that with a pinch of salt. But I really enjoyed it. It's really, really good fun. It's a really fun movie. I'm sure it will please Anderson fans. If anyone's seen Boogie Nights, it has kind of um, that kind of air of fun about yeah. it. And yeah, that kind of sprawling sense. A lot, just like, you know, a lot is happening all the time. Cool. Um, so film noir is quite an interesting genre. It's like... It's highly referential. Like, its referentiality is kind of, a, a, like, a key part of it. You can't really make a film noir now without, like, directly referencing, like, a couple of particular things. Sure, yeah. You know? Like, people, there's always, like, a couple of movies or a couple of books that people are going to think of immediately. And often, it, those movies or books are ones that are themselves referencing, like, older stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there's, like, something quite kind of detached about the whole, like, genre itself. And this treats that in quite an interesting way. So the the, the main kind of touchstones um, of the movie are probably the Big Lebowski, the 90s Coen Brothers movie, which yeah. is also a film noir in which the central character is a kind of stoner, like, yeah, yeah. druggie who just sort of, like, wanders about the film in a daze. And the other movie that it's um, very reminiscent of is The Long Goodbye. Yeah. Um, the Robert Altman adaptation of the Raymond Chandler novel, which was made in the 70s, and also has that kind of, like sort of spaced out, dreamlike... Yeah, yeah, stoned um, movie. Stoned movie kind of quality. Um, but I think this what sets this one apart a bit from those is that it's got more uh, heart to it. It's like quite a warm film. Um, and I think that a lot of film noir is quite misanthropic, you know? Yeah. And like... Bleak. And like bleak, yeah. There's like... Life's a horrible place. Yeah, everyone is horrible. Everyone's Bad constantly like backstabbing each other and... The main character usually doesn't have any friends. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like I'm. <laughs> no, no. I I thoughts. heard that like the movie was like because nineteen seventies is kind of an interesting time in American history because it's like post. It's like after Altamont and the Manson killings, the hippie mm. dreamers died. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's the come down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that like, I mean, true. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. They, that's, that sounds very true. I think that the film is very much about the seventies um, in a way that is probably a bit lost on someone who's born in 1990 <laughs> you know <laughs> like uh all that all that kind of 70s like post hippie stuff is in the movie but i'm not really in a position to judge it sure, that well yeah because you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on it but yeah that's a big part of it like he's already had a long history like the first scene is with his ex-girlfriend and like you know he was a drug addict and stuff like that yeah. so yeah you can see him as like symbolizing that kind of like what the 60s is end up as yeah, yeah. ended up as you know something like washed up like private detective guy in in the big lebowski all the stuff like the big lebowski is another movie with a barely comprehensible plot yeah, of constant twists and turns and like a million characters turning up and the overwhelming feeling you have in that is of just bewilderment yeah or at least that's that's what i feel. I've, like having seen it a couple of times the second time i was definitely like trying to work out exactly what was going on <laughs> you know and by the end it's just hopeless yeah and the scene you know it ends up with like some german nihilists burning someone's car and just like i have no idea what the hell's going on but um you feel like the nihilists are in the movie because there's like that's the kind of heart of the film you know it's just like a mess like yeah, everything yeah. is just a mess and you can't cling on to anything and although inherent vice is similarly got this very multi-stranded narrative mm. it touches on more things like of uh you know where it's genuinely making statements you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got more of a political edge to it and it deals with things like corruption and um 
gentrification and drug addiction and stuff like that. I mean, it's not like a kind of issues film, but... It's all in there. It's in there, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's like... It's not um, just random German sort of comedy characters. Yeah, They're yeah. real people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it matters more. Like, the actual things that happen sure. matter more. And it's also narrated by Joanna Newsom, quite weirdly. And her narration, like, she, she's a character in the film as well. She's, like, one of his friends. It's slightly ambiguous as to whether she really exists. Yeah. Um, but, but her narration is, <laughs> like... fucking nuts. <laughs> her narration is, has got this, like, uh, kind of affectionate, almost, like, protective air towards him. Yeah. You know, he's always, like, wondering about getting into, like, danger and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. And she's just kind of anchoring, um, kind of almost, I don't know, maternal, like, voice. Yeah. And he also, another one of the key relations to the film is between him and um, Josh Brolin, who's uh, this policeman. Mm. In film noir, there's always a kind of love-hate love relationship with a policeman. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, like, in Raymond Chandler, there's always, like, some guy, like, some police guy who is, like, rude to him, and he's rude to them, but they kind of respect each other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in this, Josh Brolin is the, um, he, like, hates hippies. He's got, like, a buzz cut. You know, he's like ridiculously intense. Yeah, he's like a kind of sergeant drill major yeah. like guy. Um, yeah, super establishment guy. Um, but the two of them are kind of obsessed with each other. And um, and by the end, it's almost there's some kind of like bromance. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene that's in the trailer that's quite funny. The sort of like most like out and out comic moment in the trailer where the two of them go to this Japanese restaurant. Josh Brolin is like just shouting like random Japanese <laughs> phrases at the uh, at, like the people who work there. But in the like. He's like, you have like, they have to respect you or whatever. It's like, it's respect is very important to them or something like that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's this like undercurrent of bromance. Yeah. So it's, it, it makes the film like um, feel more than just purely this like tangle of narrative. Yeah. Which is, you know, like a, like a fever dream or some kind of drug trip, mm. you know. But instead it's like, group of human connections across all these different like like the kind of impression you get at the end is that it's like it's got the kind of optimistic sweet heart to it yeah and no it's i don't know that's 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 what i felt anyway cool but it's i don't know there's a lot going on yeah you know i mean if i'm, I'm sounding a little bit like jabbering and yeah. confused because it's the a big it's a big film and confused yeah well yeah it's just like uh it's a big film and there's a lot in it and you know it's hard to distill yeah you know it's a movie which i you know, probably see a second time before giving it a more coherent review but um i definitely recommend it it's really good fun it's it's very long um like a lot of his movies are but it's never boring and I'm uh gonna i'm gonna see it and it's got it's every fine, actor you could name in it i mean like it's just ridiculous how many people, except Burt for Oscar Isaacs, unfortunately. Cool. So, but yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, I mean, like, his movies are always worth seeing. I don't think he could make a, like, he's not going to make a film that everyone would just be like, don't even bother, it's too shit. You know, they're always interesting and it's genius. worth checking out. Well, we'll do that. Okay. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask continually poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Ex Machina, Danny. Ex Machina, Ex Machina. Yeah, so, do they say that phrase in the movie? Is it clear how it's pronounced? Uh, no, they don't say it in the movie. Okay. Uh, no, they don't. Okay. That's the end of that question. Don't ask <laughs> me that again. You know that you've got the answer. Okay, so uh, this is written and directed by Alex Garland, who was the novelist of The Beach, but is probably best known as a screenplay writer now. He did 28 Days Later and Sunshine and Dread, that fantastic movie Dread. Great movie. And the adaptation of Never Let Me Go, yeah. which I never saw. Mm -hmm. 
never let me go see that movie, <laughs> I said. And uh, so the plot is uh, Donald Gleason plays Caleb, who is a computer programmer at some sort of fictitious Apple-like media company, like uh-huh. the biggest one in the world. It's called Blue Book, which is itself like a sort of replacement for Google. So it's kind of like... Yeah. Google and Apple combined into one super company. It's like a, like a half-deaf old person was trying to decipher someone <laughs> saying Google to them. Like, yeah. And that, right at the beginning of the movie, he wins a competition to spend a week with the founder of Blue Book, who is uh, played by Oscar Isaac, this character Nathan, who's like a sort of hipster, wise old monk genius, uh, who lives uh, in a sprawling uh, house in the middle of nowhere. At the beginning of the movie, he's taken by a helicopter. It's not really, it's never said where it is. I think they shot it in Norway. Mm. It's very quite a Danish-looking movie, in fact. A lot of people looking at people through glass. Right, yeah. The whole movie. And big, bare rooms with, like, weird, minimalist furniture in it. Yeah, it, like, it looked in, like he was yeah. going to the house that um, Neil Patrick Harris lives in in Gone, um, yeah. Gone Girl. In the future, bit. there is no wood. Carpentry yeah. has ceased <laughs> to exist as a skill. Yeah. And um, there, he's like, he meets uh, Nathan, who's like this genius, and he turns out that He's brought Caleb there to be the human component in a Turing test because Nathan has built a robot and Caleb is going to talk to her over a week and uh, decide whether she's actually conscious or not, whether she passes the Turing test. Okay. And then stuff happens. Mm-hmm. All is not what it seems. Mm-hmm. Who's lying? Who's telling the truth? <laughs> so it's like a sort of chamber piece drama uh, with a sort of sci-fi twist to it. And basically it's just not that good. I saw it this morning. Has it like, got kind of like horror elements? Like it's, it's got it's got like at that from the yeah uh, yeah. There's like a certain Doctor Frankenstein vibe to it. Yeah, but not really. So maybe the positive for, positives first. Like the performances are very good. Oscar mm. Isaac is like the standout. Yeah. So it's this freehander. It's very stripped down. But of the three characters, only one of them's that interesting, and yeah. it's Oscar Isaac. And I think because he's got the most out there characters. I mean, like, a lot of fun. Yeah. And he's like this sort of hard-drinking, boy-king, hipster, genius man-child. <laughs> and the movie is, like, a bit sterile. If you watch the trailer, you'll get a sense of, like, the kind of visuals of it. There's lots of people standing in rooms looking and talking to each other. Yeah. And he's, like, a real sort of burst of energy when he turns up because he's, like, obviously a bit nuts. Yeah, yeah. And the movie's so sort of sort of tightly controlled, like, kind of precision, precision filmmaking... It's like, you know, it kind of, it kind of robs him of a bit of energy. And then he turns up and is like, hey, this guy. Yeah, yeah. Something might happen. But even he can't read Rescue in a sort of quite ropey scripts. And the other actors are really good. Like, Donald Gleason, I think, is like sort of got a natural likability to him, mm. which helps because his character is the protagonist, but he's just a bit of a... He's just the man who goes to the house. The straight man. The straight man. And similarly, uh, Alicia Vikander is the sort of... Uh, the robot... Uh, there's a bit one note, her character, but her just sort of natural screen charisma. I mean, I, I, maybe that's what the cast has in common. They've all got like sort of certain like unconventional p- screen presence to them. Yeah. It kind of makes like, you More know. interesting just to have them hanging around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the problems is that I found was like the plot centers on him doing this test, uh, Caleb with Ava, the robot, and it quickly becomes very repetitive. It's like he talks to her and then he talks to Nathan and then he talks to again, he talks to Nathan. And part of the problem is that they're constantly talking about what the film's about. Oh, I see, yeah. So it's like, you know, what is consciousness? Like, can she think this or she's just that? And it feels mm. a bit like you're... Is it, is it like some kind of A-level philosophy discussion? Yeah, it's like you're reading the script and the script writer's notes next to it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, and also it doesn't really say anything. It sort of presents all this stuff. 
basically, it's a movie that feels like it's saying a lot and it's actually saying very little. And what it is saying is a bit sort of been said. Mm. Robots could be human. Okay. Yeah. So, you mean, it's not like it's uh, not making an argument one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's got this whole other thing about sort of gender politics, about like this alpha male guy's created this woman he's got control in here and stuff but that really doesn't really it's a bit sort of kind of thrown like, in does there does he get to like make the tea or like no, no but it is a bit like she's kind of subjugated and yeah yeah and then Donald Gleeson's is he going to be like the chivalrous guy who saves her and like, oh, I it's see, all yeah. a bit I don't know it's all like in there but it's some kind of Rapunzel story yeah I don't yeah. know <laughs> so when I was watching it I was kind of reminded of the scripts he wrote for Danny Boyle uh, 20 Days Later in Sunshine and I think those movies have similar flaws mm. and the flaws are that they're both very derivative and have third act problems. Yeah, yeah. And uh but what makes them good is uh I yeah, I don't wanna like, you know, play which you know, Danny Ball's the genius and has gone as the idiot or whatever, yeah, but yeah. like they've got like a real kind of visual bit of panache to them. And uh the just the concepts are inherently compelling. It's yeah. like zombies in London, it's like shit, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh similarly there's like really cool set pieces in it. Or, you know, like, we've got to blow up the sun. It's like, you know, yeah. it's a hell of a movie, like, premise. But this one is like, we've got to go to this house and talk to some people. Yeah, yeah. And because the movie's so... So, like, the ideas are the whole thing. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like the ideas are what's behind the plot. You know, yeah. The ideas are the plot. The ideas are the plot. And also, because it's so stripped down, those flaws become very apparent. Yeah. There's nothing sort of carrying you along. I mean, and also, I think those movies have a similar thing of being torn between being trying to be quite high-minded and just quite genre-y. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, Sunshine is, like, two-thirds existential exploration of space, and then the last third is, like, eh, a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, like, 28 Days Later, like, really works as, like, just a fun movie. But then occasionally it's like, you know, we're all infected with rage. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we? Well, not really. Shut up. The angriest animals on the planet are actually humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of stuck between two approaches and both of them aren't working. So would you have rather um, had seen some kind of quiet, like if it was the whole movie was just like some kind of quiet, talky affair, like some kind of European art house film of some people talking, you know, one that's yeah. a robot, would that have been better? You know, or, or is the movie you really want to see some kind of ridiculous B-movie Frankenstein film? Well, like... yeah, the second one sounds a lot more fun. Yeah. I think like, first of all, like it's trying to be this cerebral film and it's not but it also it doesn't even follow through on that so mm. it's like yeah it's yeah. not even the film it's trying to be i see what you mean yeah so it was like yeah yeah and i don't know basically it's exactly the film you think it is it's not at all surprising and i was just a bit sort of bored by it a bit. yeah my my pithy review of it would be it's a bit like a kind of ropey episode of black mirror stretched out yeah So, yeah, A Most Violent Year is a uh, sort of a crime epic, although there's not like, that much crime in it. Um, right. Set in 1981 in New York. The title is referring to the fact that that is one of the most violent years in New York's history. Yeah. I think it, it was crime wave was sort of peaking at the time and then it was to do so again in the early 90s which is why the director JC Chandler couldn't call it the most violent year yeah. in New York's history um, he had to call it a most violent year <laughs> subtitle um, not as violent as 1992 yeah so uh, 
It's been compared to um, kind of moody uh, crime drama epics like The Godfather, uh, where there's a lot of very serious people with the weight of the world on their shoulders and they like, you know, talk to each other. And uh, that's not really a comparison you want to invite, is it? You don't no, want to be compared to The Godfather, like, yeah, the best film, of all one time. of the most acclaimed <laughs> films ever. Yeah, and I don't know. I I I didn't like it that much. I went to see it after hearing an interview with the director, which. Uh, you know, I was like, he sounds smart, you know, yeah. and and then they and then Empire gave it a very positive podcast review afterwards. So I was like, oh, maybe it'll be brilliant. Who's this JC? JC Chandler. Yeah. He directed um, All Is Lost, the Robert Redford. It's like Gravity um, on on Sea. Gravity <laughs> in the Sea film, and he also directed Margin Call. Yeah, that's uh, magical. Yeah, yeah. A lot of business talk in that. Yeah, it's that film about the financial crisis, right? It's about the fall of Lehman Brothers or something. Yeah, yeah. Tissues Bank. Yeah, so he's done good work in the past. I haven't seen other things. The Margin Call's good, right? You liked Margin Call? Yeah, I like. Yeah, it was a movie that really. I think his dad's like a broker or something. His dad, yeah, his dad. So is a like, yeah. uh, it felt very authentic. Yeah, I don't know. I was convinced by all the business speak. That yeah. story's like inherently, it's like God, these people are pricks. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the take from that movie. Well, maybe his maybe the, this one would be better if his dad had been trying to sell oil in New York <laughs> in 1981. So yeah, so um, in the movie, Oscar Isaacs plays this um, up-and-coming independent businessman, and he is trying to get his oil-selling business off the ground. It's mm. not completely clear how big a business he has at the moment, but he's got some like quite large trucks full of oil, so it seems like it's not tiny. Yeah, and he employs a group of people, and uh, at the beginning of the movie, he is um, putting a deposit down to buy a new property, um, which he will then use to expand his business, mm. and. Uh, there's this kind of deadline um, time bomb thing established because he's got 30 days to pay the rest of the money or he'll lose his deposit. And um, this deposit is most of the money he has. And he's, he's already used most of his money on the deposit. So, um, you know, if anything goes wrong, it could jeopardize you know, everything for him. And things go wrong. Bad things happen. So um, it's it's got kind of an interesting idea in that Oscar Isaacs is this... Sort of, it's like it is a bit like Al Pacino in The Godfather, right? Where he's this yeah. kind of moral guy who's trying to like play it straight and not get dragged into a world of crime. Yeah. Uh, but everyone around him is a crook, and he's kind of played off against his wife Jessica Chastain, who is this um, gangster's daughter, um, who is much more willing to uh, bend the rules yeah. than Oscar Isaacs is. So I'd heard this before going in, and so I thought it was going to be this kind of clash of philosophies where. Uh, Oscar Isaacs would be trying to do things his way and she'd be trying to do things in a more gangsterly way and you yeah. know, they'd butt heads, whatever. Yeah. And then I was a little bit disappointed in the movie because it what, what it really is is it's more like that sort of like gangster movie thing where the guy goes out and goes to meetings and gets angry with people and then he comes home and he argues with his wife, you know? Right, Sopranos. Yeah, yeah or like or Goodfellas yeah, or yeah. The Godfather, you know, where... He's angry at work. He's angry at home. Well, it's like into each yeah, other. yeah. But it's like it, it's like instead of the movie being about these two characters and their competing approaches, it's about Oscar Isaac's and the wife is another way to put pressure on his character. You mm. know? Yeah. So and also for someone who's this kind of like badass gangster chick, yeah. who's you know ready to take matters into her own hands, she is very like quickly swayed to do things his way whenever they talk, you know? Yeah. Like, there's several scenes in the movie where she gets really angry with him and she's like, I'm going to take manners in my own hands if you don't, uh, you know, man up and, like, do what needs to be done or whatever. And he's like, don't do that. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's uh, representative of the movie in some ways because it never quite carries through on the promises it makes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of threats hanging over the film. A lot of um, tension is built up about the things which are kind of going wrong. You know, everything seems like it's going to be on the verge of collapse in his business and it's all going to come to a head, you know. And it's all built up as though there's going to be this epic climax when everything explodes and there really isn't. The movie, mm. uh, ha- like, ends on a, you know, it's a bit of a whimper, yeah. you know. For, for something which is all these, like, you know, beautiful wide shots in this period piece and everyone is looking so serious and everything is so important and you're expecting it to have an ending that has the weight of the rest, you know, yeah, the yeah, film yeah, promises, yeah. you know. I, I don't know, I wasn't, like... Was it a most t- boring film? I didn't, like... It was kind of boring, yes. <laughs> I don't know if it was a most boring film. Do you think A Most Violent Year is kind of a shit title? I do. Yeah, it's a little bit. A Most Boring... A Most Violent Year. There's <laughs> something that sounds really prissy about it. It's like, I think that the kind of stagey, like that, that, that name sounds like really stagey and sort of yeah, yeah. self-important and the movie is a bit like that, I think. Um, and also the thing that really grated on me watching the movie is the quality of the dialogue is pretty, pretty bad. For a yeah. movie which, like a drama film really needs to have good dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what's also really happening is that people are talking to each other. Um, and uh, it's going for kind of terse, punchy dialogue but it, instead it's just sort of wooden and a bit boring mm. people don't really say long sentences and like if you go to see the film and you just watch out for every single time someone makes a statement and the response is I know like yeah. you will notice that they do that a lot um, the other thing that happens a lot is someone um, accuses someone of something or they point to them they shout something and, and then the, the, the other person says what does that even mean I don't know what that means, or what do you mean, or something like yeah. that. Like, that's always happening. Just repeat people's questions back to them. All right, anyway, moving on. Moving on. So, the film of the week is Inherent Vice. Go see that. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen that she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. And finally, Mordecai. Yes. The film we've been looking forward to for weeks. Uh-huh. Johnny Depp, he's like uh, a posh idiot who gets yeah. uh, turned spy. Yeah. And Paul Bettany is his sort of East End, like, um, butch valet. Butch henchman. Yeah. Called Jock Strap. That's his character's name. Wow. Anyway, it's it's uh, bombed. It's completely bombed in the it, States. Yeah. It had, like, a budget of 60 million. It took, like, 4.5 million in the first weekend. Wow. It's like uh, Depp's fifth flop in a row. And, like, his star's waning, you know. He used to be this cool actor, and, like, he's been making a lot of bad decisions recently in well, terms of the... his kind of shtick has become old and annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I've got a bit of a theory about why he keeps on making bad films. Yeah. And my theory is that he's just been drunk since 2010. <laughs> <laughs> he's just constantly drunk. Because well, he was drunk at the awards recently, well, wasn't he? Well, okay, so this is, this is what he, first he tipped a, me he off. He had a drunk awards appearance. Okay, here's him at the awards ceremony. <laughs> No, no. Watch, I'm going to read this thing. For decades, Shep Gordon has been one of the most beloved and respected talent managers in the music industry. He is also currently the star and subject of the documentary Super Mensch, because he is a mensch. And I have been very, very uh, uh, lucky to have him in my life. He's a... <laughs> Anyway, I've been very, very good. <laughs> so that tipped me off to like, maybe Johnny's got a drinking problem. Again. <laughs> so <laughs> I then found this recent interview of uh, Johnny Depp and Paul Bettany on the Empire website. 
Where yeah, still drunk at this. Um, they asked Paul Bettany a question about uh, <laughs> the director had quoted that Johnny Depp was like such a good actor. You didn't have to do anything. Just sort of let him go. Yeah. And uh, he asked Paul Bettany like, "Did you find this?" And Johnny Depp was there. That, 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 we, go on. There's no yeah. thing without yeah. him. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that. Um, yes. Yes, but. <laughs> so it sounds a bit drunk then. So now I was trying to figure out when to start. Sounds a bit like a So I looked, looked, watched a lot of uh, Johnny Depp interviews. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is one from the tourist uh, press junket. It's twenty ten. <laughs> yeah. And he rolls a, he rolls right? a cigarette during like a break in filming, and uh, he just goes a bit mad. Okay. We we've got major issues here to solve. Uh, right before the holidays too. I'm going on the couch. I'm going fetal. <laughs> I'm going fetal. And I want to be held. Mm. I do. You Are you going to... You can do it. Oh, he's going to Oh, that's sweet. Oh, Joel. Joel's one of his assistants. I'm going fetal. So I'm my theory fetal. is, you know, he's just going to talk in a low, whispery voice and is like a bit yeah, weird. Yeah. He's actually just pissed. He's, he's just he doesn't know what he's making. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got, he's probably got some, like, unscrupulous agents. Like, Johnny, make this film. Oh, shit, okay, man. Okay, what? Yeah, Low Ranger? What am I, a 50-year-old Cherokee guy? <laughs> okay, just cover me in white and what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ride a horse? Yeah. Uh, play a fop, British fop? Okay, I could dye my hair, <laughs> have a mustache. It makes sense, because I saw Into the Woods recently, and he's in that as the they wolf. He's a bit drunk. Yeah. He's uh, a little girl. <laughs> So, we pray for Johnny's recovery. Yeah. I we want him say. back making good films, good performances. Anyway, good, goodbye, listeners. Yeah, goodbye. goodbye. Thanks, thanks for this. Where the fuck am I? I'm looking Listening. forward to his six music show. You probably start doing one of those. Hey, yeah. I, was, I played with Blur in the 90s. I think so. I'm going to end on the Pirates uh, of the Caribbean. It's time, it's time for another one of my songs. <laughs> I'm going to put the Pirates of the Caribbean bum, in the bum, bum, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wish I was British in the 60s. Stop!